Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership Podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership Podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Today, we are going to be discussing Monday's interview with Lizzie Ingley, who is the co-founder of Maker Girl. Joining me back in the studio today to discuss the interview are my friends and fellow leaders, Cody Coleman, Elijah Friedman, and Molly Bowser. Welcome back. Yeah, it's good to be back. Yeah, it's good to be back. So what did y'all think about Monday's interview with Lizzie? Molly? I thought it was great. This just the way that she talked about mentorship and communication and how important they were that that really hit home for me i loved it cody yeah i think it was a a really cool opportunity to hear about these college age women in the in a stem field which is totally a a male dominated field having the opportunity to really be a leader and come up in in a leadership role in that field i really enjoyed getting to hear how what they're doing is pretty early on in the process i mean it's not an it's not a nonprofit that's been around for a long time and so i just enjoyed hearing what what's happening now that's going to position Maker Girl for a great future and is need to, to be in here. I'd love to revisit this in five years and see what they're doing at that point. One of the things that, that stuck out to me in the interview is Lizzie's focus on her volunteers as well as the, the, the young girls that Maker Girl is seeking to educate. And so the question, the question that I want to throw out first of all is when you interact, assuming that you interact with volunteers, which I happen to know that the three people around the table with me today do interact with volunteers, but when you're interacting with them, are you focused on preparing them for whatever's next in their life? Or are you just kind of preparing them for what you need them to do in the moment? Does that make sense? Yeah. I uh, I know that in my role, I spend way too much time focusing on what they need to do now and how to do it well. And in, in, in the church that all three of us are involved in, uh, we talk about the why behind the what all the time. And I do a very poor job of explaining why we do something and what needs to be done to make it happen. And that can be hard because usually there is something pressing at hand that you need to be focused on, whatever the next thing is, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Elijah, Cody? That, that's a tough tension because anytime you're involved in something, you've got to get things done. Like that, that is inherently what it means to have an organization is that we're organizing towards an end. And so I, I think there's this tension of, of how much do we spend getting stuff done, especially when dealing with volunteers. You have very limited time versus how much do we spend on preparing them for the next step. And the truth is with a volunteer, not everyone wants to or is capable of going to that next level and that next stage. Uh, as, as far as what I'm involved with in the church uh, that, that all three of us, Cody, Molly, and I are involved in. Uh, I'm looking ahead to the future. And so although I'm, I'm very focused on what needs to happen right now, I'm constantly trying to look towards the future and see what people need to be doing now, what they need to step back from now in order to be ready for the future. I don't always do a great job of it, but that is in the back of my mind. Cody, any thoughts here? Yeah, uh, my thoughts are actually pretty similar to Elijah's there. Um, I think I tend to, every time I have a conversation with uh, one of my volunteers, um, I have in the back of my head the vision of the future. 
And it's a very, it's very much, um, I'm looking to the future, but I'm having this conversation now trying to say, Hey, here's what we need you to do now. Um, and kind of teaching them that in the moment, but here's why, because here's your potential. Here's where you want, I want you to be, um, in the next, you know, several weeks or six months or whatever. And we, we may have actually indicted ourselves right there, Cody, that we don't do a good job of that because we both said it's in right. the back of our minds. I'm not yeah. sure if, if I'm speaking for myself, I don't think I often express that well of yeah. saying, hey, you're doing this thing now, but here's how it's connected to a future for you. Right. And I think in my mind, it's, it's there. I got it. I understand it. Right. But if I'm not communicating that, how much value is that to the other person? In the process of preparing volunteers for what they need to do in the present, keep in mind that you can be teaching them principles, you can be teaching them character traits and things like that to prepare them for whatever's next because they may not know what's next, you may not know what's next, but you can always be preparing them. There's a a theory, a leadership theory called transformational leadership. One of the, the four characteristics of a transformational leader is that they have intellectual stimulation for their followers. So they're keeping people's minds active and thinking and engaged in the process. And that's really important because when people's minds are at work, oftentimes it ends up going into their hands. So I think it's very important to make sure that you are are stimulating your followers, your your volunteers in a positive way to encourage them to continue thinking and growing as individuals. A follow-up question to that is something that, that Lizzie also introduced, which is the idea of everybody wins. It's the idea that in order for an organization to succeed, every individual person needs to succeed on their own level. And I wanted to see, at least from your experience as leaders of volunteers, is this something that's feasible? Is it is it feasible to make sure everyone in an organization succeeds, or is that kind of a pie in the sky hope and dream? I was thinking about this question. I loved I loved the idea that everybody wins, but that's largely because I want everybody to be happy and everybody to succeed. But do we, in our leadership roles over our volunteers or co-leaders or staff, do we know how they're winning or what they need to do to win? I think that it's feasible. Yes, but you need to know how they're winning, why they're winning, what they need to win at. I think you need to know why something is happening in order for it to happen. One thing Lizzie said is I get invested in every director's success. And I love that idea of investment. Like she, she's there. She's got the relationship, the buy-in on her end to know what happens. And that's hard though. Like it really is an investment of emotion, of energy, which I know for me, it's so easy to put that towards accomplishing a task and which, which is ultimately counterproductive because to accomplish the task, you need other leaders involved. Uh, but that's, a, that's, a, that's really hard to get fully engaged with other people's wins. And go back to your question, Josh, I don't think that everyone can win. I mean, if if everyone wins, you're going to pretty much be a very small group of people just helping each other feel good about it. So could you maybe not give a specific example, but just kind of uh, speak to that a little bit more, because that's something that uh, I feel like would be a a hotly contested idea. Yeah, probably so. But I think everyone buys into it at at some level, at a practical level. For instance, and we work with a volunteer setting, there are going to be some volunteers who, who aren't going to be able to make the commitment they need to make in order to actually serve within our system and what we do. So on the one hand, we can help them feel like they're winning by letting them volunteer once every couple months when they come there, make them feel appreciated like they're doing their part. And that'd be fine. But ultimately, we would undercut what we're trying to do, which is help volunteers be committed and have ownership of something every single week. And so by helping that one person feel valued and like they're winning, we're actually bringing the rest of the team down to a much lower standard. That's probably that's a very low level. it's a very small example, but it's, I think it's a true one. Would it be fair to say that that situation is caused by having too many volunteers in your organization? 
I, th- I think it's just an example of some people aren't willing to make the commitment in a volunteer, which is okay. It's volunteer. If you can't volunteer sure. to that level, then you know we'll find some other way to get you get you involved. Would you say that assuming that people are committed, though, you can have an organization where everyone wins if everyone's committed to the mission and the priorities of that organization? I think if everyone is actually committed, absolutely. I mean, at a certain level, you know, a small a small organization, everything. I think everybody could absolutely be that committed. But you get into an organization with a, a few hundred volunteers, that's going to be really hard to do. Is it possible? Sure. Is it probable? Maybe not. I don't know. And I think that goes to actually, I, I wasn't planning on making this be a transformational leadership focus because I think there are actually some servant leadership ideals that, that Lizzie shows in her interview. But another part of that transformational leadership theory is the idea of individualized consideration, where you are able to think about each one of your followers individually. And I think that, Cody, to your point, if you get to an organization that's too large, you're not really able to do that. So I think it really is important to think at, at like the managerial level or, you know, think about your specific area as a leader. Who are your followers and how can you know them? Elijah, kind of what you're saying, know the directors. You may not be able to reach out at a large organization to every single person, but who are the people directly under you? You take care of them and encourage them, inspire them, prepare them to take care of the people below them. Yeah. I think it's important to work with others and support their success because I think an organization can only be successful if each person is successful in their role. And I, I mean, like, I'm kind of pushing back a little bit of this. I'm kind of surprised, maybe not so surprised, but that y'all kind of disagree that everybody can win. And maybe it's just me as a, like in my personality. And in, I mean, like, you guys know the way I interact with people. I want everybody to be happy and to do well, but I think that in order for an organization to be successful, everybody else has to be successful. And I, you're right. It's top down. It's leaders of leaders and then leaders of volunteers. I, I think everyone can win. It's does everyone choose to be part of that winning? And, and we, we right. can start dropping names here because we're all from the same organization of, of people who've been involved and just chosen not to yeah. not to go along with the with the system. And that's that's not a bad on. That's not you know their fault that they're not they can't do it. It's just they decided not to. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, the, the important thing is to make sure that you do have people who are committed to your organization. And from there, that's when you can really begin to operate successfully. Until you have those people, it can be hard to to be successful in whatever that mission is if you have different ideas of what that mission is. Yeah. What about some other thoughts from the interview? Yeah, so so one, one question that came to mind as I'm listening to this is one thing Lizzie said, and it, it kind of goes into what we've just been talking about, but she said, you've always got time for what matters to you. And I love that thought, like this, this idea, there's always enough time, there's an abundance of time, but she said, you've got to have your priorities right. You got to know what are priorities. And so I guess I'd love to throw this out here for us to discuss is how do you identify those priorities? I know sometimes in my life, it feels like I've got 20 priorities. How do I identify the the ones? What does that look like in our lives? Yeah, I think one of the best ways to figure that out is what do you spend the most time thinking about? You know, even, even if you're working on something else, if your mind is on this thing over here, maybe that's more of a priority than what you're actually doing in the moment. I think if you kind of track or write down or something, you know, I keep, I spend a lot of time. I realize I spend a lot of time doing this or thinking about this. Maybe, maybe that's one of your priorities that you actually really care about. I, I look at if I don't do well in this thing, if I don't put effort into this thing, how will it affect my heart? If I don't do this well, how does it affect my heart? How does it affect my life? Because it could affect my life and it'd be fine. Like I could walk away and be totally fine, move on, do something else. But will it affect my heart? And if it affects my heart, that's where my priority is. Like with relationships with people, 
if I walk away from this relationship, if I don't reach out, if they are having a bad week and like, I don't do something about it, how does it affect my heart? If it hurts, I mean, like, I'm also very feeler. I'm a big feeler. Like I feel everything so intensely, but like, if I walk away from a friendship and it hurts me because I chose to not invest it or not, or not prioritize it, that that's, that's usually how I, I, I identify my priorities. I think another important thing is something that we've talked about in a couple episodes, which is, do you know what your purpose is? And I think that goes back to, if you know what your purpose is, then you know what to prioritize. And I don't think that we spend a whole lot of time thinking about that in like a very explicit way. We just kind of, we allow our purpose to kind of just develop over time and, and maybe even have other people define what our purpose is. And when that happens, I think that over time, it's really not a very satisfying thing. So it's very important to understand what your what your overarching purpose is and your priorities should stem out of that. And I know that's a whole lot easier to say than to necessarily do. It's It's hard because sometimes you say, well, my purpose... To your point, Elijah, my purpose includes a bunch of, of different things. So how do I prioritize? And then it gets to a whole whole other list of like who's on your team, who can help you with the different things. And sometimes life is just busy and there's a whole lot to do. But it, it is important to make sure that your priorities are stemming from your purpose. In listening to Lizzie, she said, uh, this is a direct quote, Maker Girl is just as much about the college volunteers as it is the students we are serving. She said, making it personal, having a 30-minute mentor conversation. She said it's critical because they're the face of the organization. They're, they're Maker Girls themselves. So they've, they've bought in. They guide the strategy. They lead the sessions. They create the curriculum. And I love that they have created an environment where the leaders grow along with the students but it made me think about this question of like, how do we create a system or an atmosphere where mentorship is prioritized? I think one of the easy answers is to do it. And that's over an oversimplification, but we, we look and see what, what Lizzie's done and what others have done in the organization. And they have identified who the primary faces of the organization are, the primary movers at the ground level. And they want to make sure that those people have what they need. And she didn't really go into all of the details of what that looked like. And sometimes we don't have those details well-defined. Maybe we do, maybe we don't. But even when we don't, having a 30-minute conversation with someone helps some of those things to come out. So if they have questions, if they don't know exactly what to do, if they have things in their mind that are unclarified, then having that time where you can discuss is important. And I think that's part of what a good mentor relationship does is you have time to, to sit back and it's not just a, a laundry list of things. It's, it's more of a, an interactive communication to really figure out what needs to happen next for my particular situation. One really interesting thing that Lizzie said is don't don't wait and have everything figured out. Just get started and think about what would this look like tomorrow? So the going, going right off what Josh said, you know, what would it look like tomorrow for, I have a lot of these things that, that I'm waiting on doing. They need to get done. I know they do, but I got to wait till the right time to start. And that was good for me to hear. So on mentoring, I just need to have a 10 minute call once a week with that person. I just need to create a little space. I need to text them a question and say, I want to talk about this later. Just something really small that tomorrow mentoring can start. And I don't have to have the the game plan of, of how this is going to develop to look like in 10 years. Going off of that a little bit, there's that Tim Ferriss quote that helps to clarify what needs to happen. And he, he asked the question, what would this look like if it were easy? Because 
like you were saying, Elijah, sometimes we want to have that game plan figured out, especially uh, recently we're talking about uh, planning versus implementing on this on this podcast. Do we tend to over plan or do we tend to act before we're ready? But at the same time, sometimes you can find a place where those two meet in the middle by saying, if this were easy, what would it look like? And that can sometimes trim away some of the unnecessary complications that we add to the things that we want to do and just say, hey, if this were easy, then maybe I just give someone a quick phone call and see what's up. And then all of a sudden, in doing that, you can begin acting, but maybe even as you're doing that, you can be planning with the person on the other end. And one thing I really like about that is it, it keeps you from having to have all the answers. You can you can just take a step and then see where it goes. And, and the where it goes is probably going to be with somebody else and you don't have to be the one who's got it all figured out. It's and more that, of a coaching relationship. Yeah, coaching relationship or even a co-leading. You know, you come to an issue and you're thinking about it all the time. Maybe the other person is too. And if you just put out that, just that phone, quick phone call, you can start, get together and start start getting some good ideas together. So going off of that co-leading aspect, Lizzie talked about how she liked to, whenever she was concerned that a, a conflict might be arising with her co-founder or the CEO or with other people, she just go ahead and give them a preemptive call to make sure that things were kind of smooth over. Any thoughts on, on that as far as a way to manage conflict and maybe uh, even talking about some of the other things that she discussed as far as conflict management goes? Yeah, so I think it's super important to nip it in the bud as, as soon as possible. When you when you start to see conflict like that and you just let it fester and fester, the longer it goes, the worse it typically gets. So doing that as soon as you can is super important. And having the culture, having the relationships with your people that you're leading, and just so that they know when you're going to have a conversation, maybe there's no, there's no personal feelings about it. This is just, here's what we have to do. Here's what we've done. Here's the way we need to get better. So uh, one of the questions that I have that comes out of that is, what are those relationships really look like? What kind of relationship do you have with somebody when you're about to have this hard conversation with them? How do you have that conversation with them in that relationship without walking away with a broken relationship or a broken friendship or something like that? I think it really comes back to that concept of everybody winning a little bit. I really do because it, it's it's wanting somebody else to be successful. Yeah. And I think in order to go into these conversations with co-leaders or volunteers or whoever it, it is that you need to talk to in your organization, you really want them to be successful. And she talked about how it's it's not a personal thing. It's so that the organization can succeed. And I love that idea because you're not. It's not a personal thing necessarily. If it is, you just need to be like this is personal. I'm a little upset. You hurt my feelings. But if it's not, you just you want this to be successful, and you want them to grow as a leader. You want them to grow as a leader. So it's kind of interesting because Cody and Molly and I all lead together at a church. We we help lead, and we've had to deal with some conflict recently. And a variety of things, and it's we've been able to deal with it. And Cody, going back to your question, we've been able to deal with it because of the relationships we have with each other. But I think we could all say if if we could have dealt with some of this conflict with a phone call or a quick conversation months earlier, it would have really helped. Like our relationships pulled us through, but if we could have really, Cody, like you said, nipped it in the bud early on, that would have been really great. Now we're able to we're able to endure it and and have those hard conversations and come out and work through it, but they were hard conversations. Yeah, yeah, they definitely were. Like it was yeah. not easy, and it, it the problem with it was that we waited so long. If we could have yep. just been on it and been a little more open, picked up the phone earlier and had those conversations, yep. it would have been good. So it sounds to me like one of the one of the big parts of this is communication, and I know that we heard this in the the interview on Monday, 
that communication is is super, super important in any of this when you're dealing with conflict or anything like that. And I think respect and humility for each other also plays a big part in that. Yeah, I think this concept of grace, I know this is not, it had nothing to do with what any of y'all were saying, but this concept of grace has really been playing out um, for me this week, especially, but listening to Lizzie talk, it takes a lot of grace to want others to win. It really does. I mean, like it's kind of sacrificing your own success in some ways. It's it's kind of sacrificing you, you being in the spotlight. It's wanting somebody else to succeed, whether that means you do or not. And I, I think that showing grace, and you're right, humility and love for each other and in, in relationship. And it's also showing grace for yourself because um, when you're pointing out something in somebody else, you're also noticing things in your own self. And I, I, I think that's a really big thing in leaders. And we kind of forget about showing grace to ourselves, which... People talk about it a good bit. Girls talk about it is what I mean, because we like to think that it's good and whatever. But I think grace in leadership and grace in um, communication is a big thing. And I liked how Lizzie did bring together this idea of individual and team winning and individual and team failing. And she said at the end of, was it every week, catalog as a leader, your wins, your failures, and then think about your team. What were our wins and our failures? And I think doing that helps balance out this idea of humility with success, with we can do a lot, but we also have a lot to learn. If you can do that on a personal level and a team level, I don't do that currently, but I need to start doing that because I would imagine that would be really beneficial. So I want to I want to switch over to another topic before we finish up with our key takeaways for the day. And that's that's the idea of learning, because Maker Girl is all about encouraging education. And we haven't talked about that too much in this particular discussion today, which is fine because there's a lot of other great stuff. But here's my question. Are you as a leader? enthusiastic about learning because maker girl is all about education but if the people who are leading maker girl don't care about education is not going to be done successfully if we think that learning is important for whatever organization we're in whatever group we're a part of which i hope we do are you as a leader enthusiastic about learning i take a i take learning a really weird direction i never do it for myself when I'm reading any book, I will never be reading it for my own personal enjoyment. I mean, sometimes that's that's untrue, but most of the time I'm not reading it for myself. I'm reading it for the organization. I'm reading it for a group of people. I'm reading it for one individual person to understand them better or to hmm. communicate as a person better. I am enthusiastic about learning when it comes to other people, never for myself. Elijah, Cody, either of you? Yeah, I I really actually love learning. It's one of my favorite things to do, actually. I'm about to finish my master's degree and can't wait to get my next degrees and everything. But I also teach for a living. And one of the things that the the school district that I, that I teach in, one of their big things is that every one of their teachers is a lifelong learner. So I've kind of inter- interwoven that into who I am. Every year I make goals. I'm going to learn this, 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 and this this year, or at least attempt to. And maybe one day I'll, I'll be there, you know, so I really do enjoy it. And I, I, get, I enjoy getting to talk about it with other people and saying, Hey, I learned this thing and come check it out or something. You know, I know Wes Griffin was on the podcast a few weeks ago. I remember listening to that episode and he said that if he's the same leader next year, he was this year, it's not going to, he's not gonna be able to do it. It's not, yeah. his organization's not gonna be successful, at, especially as a leader, right? Yeah. As a leader. And, and I, I feel that right now and how easily I hit a ceiling on my leadership so I'm not so much enthusiastic about learning, although I do appreciate it. I'm enthusiastic about success, and I know in order to be successful, in order for my organization to be successful, I've got to keep learning. 
And so that's really what drives a lot of my learning is just this desire to accomplish what we're trying to accomplish and do it well. Yeah, I think there's there's something to be said for that. I, there are definitely areas in my life that I have really grown in because I just didn't want to not know about that area. And that's kind of a, uh, a confusing way to phrase it. But there are areas that I didn't know much about, and I didn't want to go through life without knowing about them. And so I, I've begun to explore those and learn more about them. And, and through that, I've gained a love for that particular topic. And that's, that's another thing. Uh, sometimes if you, if you begin to learn, you, you learn to love that thing. And, and to Molly and Elijah's point, especially like when you're learning for your organization or for other people, maybe in some way it helps you to appreciate the people on the other side of the organization, the people that you're working with, working for a little bit more. And I think that's a really neat idea to be able to take away from this interview. So let's go ahead and turn to our key takeaways for the day. What are the things that you want to highlight most from Monday's interview with Lizzie? Cody, how about you? One of the biggest key takeaways that I, I saw um, Elijah actually talked about was uh, don't think about time constraints. Instead, focus on um, thinking about your priorities and what your priorities are because you always have time for those. And the second thing that I saw as a key takeaway was reflecting. Um, it's a really big deal to sit down at the end of the week and say, where have I succeeded? Where have I failed? Where have my team succeeded and failed? But mostly that just reflection time, um, whether you're asking those questions or different questions or anything, um, it's always good to look back on where you've been and where you need to go uh, and what, what steps you need to take to get there next. Molly? So I really do love the idea of everybody winning. To take the focus off of myself, to take the focus off of my success. And, I mean, pride is a big issue for me. Just uh, I don't know if anybody knows anything about Enneagrams, but my pride is the biggest issue about my personality. And to take the focus off of myself and to point at the people involved in running the show or the people in the background, I think that's powerful. And I think that it, it shows that I'm a better leader and even a better person to recognize um, when somebody else is successful. Um, another thing that I really liked is um, this maker girl organization would not have happened if they hadn't seen that girls weren't involved in STEM. And it's kind of a weird thing to notice. I mean, you really have to care about it. And I, I don't know very much about it, but I mean, you have to really care about it to notice that girls don't like it because it's not creative and it doesn't feel like you're going to have an impact. And I, I know that I don't focus on other people's ideas enough and I'm not supportive enough. And I think that's really, that impacts a lot of people. If I just, if I show excitement, if I show encouragement, then so many good things would be happening rather than discouraging people accidentally. Elijah, how about you? You have a phone, so use it. Right, call people to address conflict, to celebrate. Uh, we didn't talk about the celebration as much, but both of those are things that Lizzie brought up. Those are key. Another thing is you always have enough time if you have the right priorities, and that's that's going to come through every time. And then finally, you have to help individuals succeed in order to really succeed in your mission. I like that. So one of the things that... I thought was really important from this interview was the idea of noticing what bothers you. And I, I kind of highlighted this at the beginning of Monday's episode. We didn't really talk about it much today, but what is it that bothers you? And I think that kind of goes to the, to the learning element as well. If there's something that bothers you, learn about it. If there's something that bothers you, do something about it. Don't just let it bother you. Be proactive and, and make a difference in the world. The next thing is that you have time. So make sure that 
the way you're spending it reflects your priorities. And the final thing kind of relates to what you said, Molly, the idea of everybody wins. And this goes back to something that Kathleen Patterson shared in our very first episode of this podcast. She said, when you're great to your people, they do great things. And that's a really important takeaway. And I, I liked how Lizzie, who is a young leader just getting started in her, her nonprofit, is saying some of these same things, maybe in different words, as Kathleen Patterson, who's an expert in servant leadership. And it's, it's neat to be able to see those ideas throughout all sorts of, of leaders. So... The idea of everybody wins is very important. Help help your people to do well, and they will do well for your organization. And the final key takeaway is what Elijah said. I just want to reemphasize this. If there are people in your life that you need to celebrate a win with or have a preemptive conversation with, go ahead and do that right now. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well. <laughs>